this week, the movies are taking us to Soviet Russia, Tehran, Riotsville, USA, the Irish coast, ancient Egypt, and all the way to the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. So welcome back to the show. Um, We're going to fire up with a couple of brand new movies that are out in cinemas today. So first of all, God's Creatures. Um, So this is this has got Emily Watson in, hasn't it? Quite an emotional movie. Emily Watson, Paul Mescal, or is it Mescal? Mescal, you know the guy from is it Normal People or whatever it was, but because he's a bit fit, it was it was like, he got nominated for an Oscar <laughs> and everyone's keeping praise on him. You're like, oh, okay, this is <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, he's in Gladiator Two apparently coming up. It's also got in this film uh, Ashlyn Franciosi, uh, I think that's how you pronounce her name, who starred in Jennifer Kent's Nightingale a few years ago, which is fantastic. And if you ever get the chance to see Nightingale, Jennifer. Kent's wonderful follow-up to The Babadook, absolutely check out Nightingale. This is a very, very different film to Nightingale, of course. Um, This comes to us from uh, Anna Rose Holmer, who I think is a directorial debut. Uh, Drama set on the Irish coast, small seaside town. Uh, We follow uh, Emily Watson's character. She is the shift manager of a sort of seafood plant, you know, where uh, the fishermen bring in all the oysters and they sort of package them up in quality control, etc., for selling them on. Yeah. She um, she loses her, her best friend loses uh, her husband unexpectedly out of the blue and at the wake, um, Emily Watson's estranged son, played by Paul Mescal, returns having gone to absconded to Australia under mysterious circumstances year earlier years earlier. He's back. He's being a bit cagey about where he's been, and before long, he's accused of an assault by um, a younger co-worker of his mum's, who goes to bat for him and makes up an alibi to get him out of trouble. But it's then a question of how far a mum is willing to go to cover up for her son before she's willing to admit just who, and more importantly, what he is. Have a listen. Is Brian in? There's been a claim made by a young woman. Brian says he was at home with you that night. Is that right? He was, yeah. We both know that's a lie, though. It's a serious accusation. You don't want to hear her side? It's described online as sweepingly Mm. emotional, but that sounds more like it's a thriller. Well, I mean, it's quite a harrowing drama. Yeah, they, they've gone for the thriller angle in that in that clip they're having in that little trailer clip. They've definitely tried to pump up the suspense, and it is more of a just a straight dialogue-driven drama. It is about living with consequences, and you know, about the weight of guilt, effectively. Mm. Uh, I thought the uh, the central performance from Emily Watson. You know, what, what do you expect from Emily Watson? She's terrific. Of course, she is. She's Emily Watson. And also, yeah. just a sidebar: forgotten dangling plot thread of the of the Rocky universe, Emily Watson. Because last I checked, she's Rocky's girlfriend. It never gets mentioned again after Rocky Balboa. Just annoys me. I'm an Emily Watson fan. I'm an equilibrium boy. Uh, Paul Mescal, I thought great performance in this. I think sells a very particular degree of unlikability to Brian uh, as well. And I think um, the 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 chemistry he shares with Ashton Franciosi. Um, the the the, the say between them is it, it's pitch perfect. The performances are absolutely flawless. Uh, this is not exactly what you'd call a cheerful ride of a film. It's quite harrowing. 
It's, I mean, mm. takes its place in that uh, that unique British subgenre of what I would describe as uh, cold, both weather-wise and dramatically thriller, thriller, drama thrillers like God's Country or Calm with Horses or things like that. Very much, if you're a fan of films like that, check this out. I think as a debut, it's quite sterling work. I don't think this is going to be anyone's idea of a popcorn pleaser or anything like that. But I think if you saw it, you wouldn't come away disappointed. You might come away a little bit like, "Oof, that was that was a bit much." It's a bit weighty, you know what I mean? But I, I don't think, I think I say, yeah, you know, I mean, like, kind of, kind of killed the buzz, really, that one, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah I watched so this. If, Go on. I was going to say, so if you, if you want a rom-com, you, yeah, don't go and see God's Creatures then, basically. I will tell you, I reviewed our first two movies, I watched our first two movies that we're reviewing in the opposite order. So I watched uh, uh, God's Creatures after watching Mummies. And I can tell you, that was a very strange day for me. Uh, so anyway, God's Creatures in cinemas uh, from today. Uh, I think it's been distributed by the BFI. Um, worth a look. Definitely worth a look. Some great performances. Some uh, quite interesting cinematography as well, like I say. Really atmospheric, really moody. Just don't go in into expecting like, you know, an action thriller or anything uplifting. Well, speaking of mummies, that is what we're talking about next, of course, which is uh, a new animated movie. I've seen a little bit of a trailer. It, I mean, it looks great. It does look really good. Yeah, this is uh, rather like Epic Tales was recently, a uh, continental animated film that has then yeah. been given a, a British voice dub. So you know, like the mouths don't match up kind of thing, for instance. Uh, but you get a distinctly English cast for this. Uh, as such, our lead character is voiced by Joe Thomas from The Inbetweeners, a.k.a. Will from The Inbetweeners. Yeah, 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 yeah he's brilliant. Know, uh, yeah, yeah, good fun. He's not here. No one is. I'm going to save you some suspense on that one. So, the movie begins in ancient Egypt. We are introduced to uh, <clears throat> our, our lead, the chariot rider, whose name escapes me. Oh, God, it'll, it'll come to me. Whose name escapes me. And uh, he is killed in a chariot race. Uh, we then flash forward to the present day in which um, an Egyptian uh, tomb is unearthed, like a reclusive Egyptian tomb is unearthed by you know a, a rich wannabe archaeologist voiced by Hugh, Hugh Bonneville, uh, who discovers it's actually the entrance to an afterlife, the ancient Egyptian afterlife, in which everyone is a mummy. They don't look like mummies or anything, but they're mummies. So it's the ancient Egyptian afterlife. Okay? Um, he then gets his hands on a sacred ring from this afterlife that he then absconds with back to the real world. And our chariot rider, who is meant to be the, 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 the groom of the wedding this ring is the focal point for, has to go on an adventure into the modern human world and retrieve the ring before he's killed in the afterlife, I guess. And that's... Right, just bear with me, because that's one of many questions you're going to have. Have a listen. This is the, this is the chariot rider, his bride-to-be, and his younger brother and their pet alligator, uh, rocking up at Dover Port. Oh, it's not Dover Port, it's like a London port, for the very first time, their first exposure to the real world. Oh, my Osiris. What place is this? Amon, I've never seen anything like it. Babylon! No, this is way bigger. There's only one power that could surpass Egypt. The Roman Empire. Exactly. Guys, we are in Rome. So, this sounds a lot of fun. Like I said, I've seen a bit of the trailer. Are there, are there quite a lot of those, and I always ask this question with these kind of movies, those kind of jokes that will go over the kids' heads, but the adults will chuckle away at them in the, in the background? They try for one or two, like that one there. Well, oh, this must be Rome. And you're like, that's funny, because if you know you're Egyptian, yeah, of course they would assume yeah. it's Rome. That's hilarious. Right. 
that is about the high watermark standard of where this movie goes. Okay. Right. It's um right. It's on the surface, it's like a two star, you know, cheap and cheerful, you know, animated slop that's got dreadful voice acting in it. It's just terrible, terrible vocal performances. It's an absolute shambles. Its script makes next to no sense. I mean, I could I can ask you so many questions. Like if he has a younger brother in the afterlife, does this specifically mean that he died as a child? Or does it mean that he lived an older life and you know he died an old man and then he's he's back? In which case does he not know the future for his brother? Um but also how then has the chariot rider died, but he's the same age in the afterlife? Weird it's what I call poor patrol logic. Right? <clears throat> how does how, how does it work when you have like dogs in the emergency services as yeah it, it's poor patrol logic and they've not thought it out. Having said that, the film is mental, is an absolute shambles, but it's just about charming enough to work for how crap it is. At one point it genuinely resorts to a full-blown love story montage using in its entirety the song Far Away by Nickelback in a movie in 2023. <laughs> that is the kind of shambolic filmmaking I am here for. I survived the new metal superhero uh, trend of the early 2000s. I am here for an absolute piece of codswallop like this. Um, like I say, mental. If you're under eight, you're going to have a blast. Your parents are going to be sat there, though, staring at this mystified, going, this makes no sense. Like, why does this do this and this? This, 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 this is nonsense. And yes, it is complete nonsense, but it's kind of weirdly, it wears you down. It, it's it's sort of charming a nonsense that younger kids would enjoy. Watch this with Albert, sir, this weekend. And yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want like a, you want a, chill, you want a beer and a nap on a Sunday afternoon, this is the one you stick on, totally. Well, he's a massive Paw Patrol fan, so he's going to love this then, basically, on that <laughs> He's uh, on for principle. the logic, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so that is, um, of course, out in cinemas from today. Um, we are going to be back in a moment when we're going to talk about Riotsville, USA, which, of course, Van has already seen, and Law of Tehran as well. So stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back. Uh, this is the moment where, of course, I say wherever you're listening to us, uh, maybe in the bath, maybe in the gym, maybe in the car, maybe just walking to get a bus with us in your earpods. Welcome back. We are going to talk about two more new movies that are both out uh, in cinemas today. Uh, Van, talk to me about Riotsville because I've read the synopsis to this. Slightly confusing. So, uh, confusing. So it says a fictional town built mm-hmm. by the US military yep. using all arch- archival footage. So... It's a real town, but it was a fake real town. Yeah, kind of like the beginning of Indiana Jones 4, you know, when he's in that town where he jumps in the right. fridge and the new brother, kind of like that. Right, so the idea here is, um, all right, so this uh, new, new documentary uh, directed by uh, Sierra Pesekiel, um, who's made a few documentaries I've seen of the I think there's a Reagan one uh, she made a few years back, if memory serves. Anyway, um, this uses archival footage to, uh, mostly archival footage. There is a narration on there, but I think it's Charlene Modeste. Quite a soulful narration, as you'll hear in our clip in a moment. It's about a fictional town the US government built in 1967, following a report, primar- a report that was primarily, it was on the surface, a report for the US government, you know, into the state of civil civil relations, civil the civil rights movement, and you know, so, and, and civil relations in 60s America. However, the only thing that they actually acted on from this report, it turns out, was just a little bit at the end 
that's, that talked about what would happen if there was to be an uprising at any point. And this, in turn, led the government to create these fictional towns. They made a couple of them called Riotsville. And they would send different states' police units there and, that, and effectively militarise them. This is how the the American uh, the American policing infrastructure got militarized way back then way back when it, this was all a, a byproduct of you know America's institutionalized aversion to the, you know to Black America uh, have a listen this it, it's a fascinating story that it goes everywhere from civil rights to as I say police uh, you know, police militarization so there's a, there's a lot covered in this have a listen. 1967 had given the establishment proof that something was broken and being born. But the commissioners had to fight that view, obscure it. They wanted to present innocent dissatisfaction, pain without politics. It was rhetorical alchemy. In the language of the official report, a picture emerged of black life, poor life in America. Yes, there was hardship, and who wouldn't be angry about that? We ought to pity the poor and their problems. But only a radical could possibly admit that the rioters might not just be revising their role in the social drama. This sounds fascinating, actually. I'm guessing this is something it that is. once you've watched it, you just think, wow. It really is. This is, I, I thought this was great stuff. Uh, I had the chance to see this at LFF uh, at the end of last year, and I think it was that Hell Week when uh, they, were, they were messing around with the screenings for Halloween ends or whatever, and I had to run and catch that instead. And uh, believe me, I would much rather have seen this because way, way better viewing experience than, than Halloween ends. Um, fascinating doc. As I say, there is something of an Adam Curtis light feel to that if you can hear its use of its use of music and synths um and, and the, the, the the soft nuance of the of the, the narration um it does have that adam curtis like feel to it the story is fascinating like i say it has really far-reaching uh branches that it goes you know, it goes off on uh, seeing how it relates particularly to uh you know contemporary issues um, how it feeds into discussions on Black Lives Matter and things like that, I thought was really powerful and really poignant. And so this was made into a couple of years ago because it was LFF last year. So, you know, it's been in the system for a while, but it's still got real relevance and real weight right at this moment in time. Like, look out the window kind of thing. Um, so it's called uh, Riotsville, USA. It's being put out by Dog Wolf from today. And because it's being put out by Dog Wolf, that means it's in select cinemas, but also you can actually usually get this on digital, like Dog Wolf themselves have a digital digital library. You can just go on dogwolf.com and see it through there. They put out all the best docs, Dog Wolf. Every bloody year, like the top 10 always has like two documentaries in it from Dog Wolf. Ever since Blackfish. Well, if you do something good, keep doing it. That's what I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, why, why change it? Um, okay, so on to the next one then, Law of Tehran. This actually, on paper, looks brilliant. A, an Iranian crime thriller, policemen going head-to-head -head with a drug dealer. Please say it's good, because it looks good. It's pretty good, actually. I'm not going to lie. Good. <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, Iranian cop thriller, as you say, it basically kind of plays like heat. Like, it really thinks it, it's Michael Mann's heat. Now, first of all, you... Bitch, you ain't no heat. You know what I mean? Like, no one is. Um, so, you've got the cop, you've got the crim. The cop tries to get the crim, locks the crim up, and then it is basically a, the narrative splits. 
Uh, it's an even split between the, the criminal in question, NASA, the, uh, the aspiring, the, the would-be drug lord, trying everything in his power to gain the system to get out of, uh, you know, get out of prison, to reunite uh, with his family. And then you have uh, Samad, the, the cop, who it's, it's about how far he's willing to go to play the system and to, to, to twist the system to, to get what he needs. And basically, even though he's on the side of the angels, how many lines is he willing to cross? And it's the story of these two men, you know, one in both in complete desperation, but one basically playing the system he knows so well, the other one, like, you know, having to turn against it. Uh, fascinating stuff. Like, really, I mean, it, it's got all the staging. I would say it ain't, like I say, it ain't no heat. Uh, it's, it's for one thing. It's it's not got that visual palette. In terms of its production value, it's it's cinematic worth, as it says. It's it's static. It's immersive. It's immersive quality. I would say it's probably closest to. This is a, a very niche reference. Imagine ITV had made Spooks instead of BBC. That's what this would. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what you'd get with this. Um, it, it's it's kind of a poor man's twenty. It really wants to be twenty four early on, but. The problem is a lot of it is there's there's no real um, there's no real imagination or creativity put into just how it's been shot, and a lot of it is a very basic sort of handheld wobble, and it's so repetitive in in, in its use of this that you start to wonder if actually it, everything was shot static and then they've just got a handheld wobble preset in the editing app ah, that they just right. dropped onto yeah. all the footage and it's all quite seamless. I, I found myself feeling like that a lot of the time with it. It's very nuts and bolts in terms of how it's put together. And yet, it is an interesting... It, it's a story that, you know, works... You've seen it done before, but it's a story that works quite well. The performances are there. Like, they're, you know, they're really gristle, like, you know, spit in your face, down and dirty performances they they really land the problem is i think the film that they're serving isn't serving them anywhere near as well and it feels like they're the ones being i mean it feels like they're being as shortchanged as we are in watching because you do feel like you're watching something that really just if it were in the english language it had been made for it would have been made for you know like channel it would have been made by channel four like chief and chill slap that on kind of thing mm. um but the only thing telling you that this is like a, a serious like you know cinematic venture is the fact that it's in a foreign language so yeah I shame I liked it I very much it's worth noting as well by the way if you have trouble uh, looking this one up it is uh, it is on IMDB if you're looking this up as uh, just 6.5 it's called just 6.5 which has is as a phrase has plot relevance they do get there um, I thought this was very good like I say performances I liked I just didn't think the film was particularly well made why the two different names by the way it does happen every now and again. Like some films do you know, get, get alternate titles. Uh, maybe maybe someone thought oh, we can't sell a film called Just Six Point Five. It's too confusing. Whereas Law of Tehran does lend it. It sounds like more of a thriller. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it absolutely does. The only thing that puts me off of, of this, I mean, mm. uh, besides the fact that it's uh, obviously going to be subtitles to, to understand it, and you already know I'm not too great with those. I, I, can't, I can't concentrate. But the whole wobbly camera thing, I find myself, if I watch too many things with the wobbly camera, you know, shot in, oh, it's me with a camcorder kind of style, makes me feel a little bit dizzy and a little bit sick. So, I mean, did you notice it all the way through? Uh, not all the way through. There were there were um, there were times. There's a lot of long corridor shots and things. Uh, this Marisam director, I think Said uh, Rustai. I think his name is Said Rustai, and mm. um, not an inherently bad director. I do think he's better than this. To be honest, this feels kind of beneath. I mean, you start this against something like, for instance, Brawl in Cell Block 99, 
uh, by S. Craig Zala. And, you know, it's, it's not even, there's not even a conversation to be had. I mean, one is trouncing the other. But as I say, it, 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 it's solid enough. It's just, it just, it's, it's just quite a, a cheap and tacky film, you know, as a film in and of itself. I was let down by that because I thought the performances and the story deserved better. Particularly, uh, what's his name? Uh, actor I quite liked in this, uh, who played um, uh, uh, Samad. Uh, Pyman, Pyman Mardi. Sorry, I thought his performance I thought was quite good. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, it is out in cinemas from today, Law of Tehran. Um, right, we're going to be back in a moment. I think this is probably this week's big one, isn't it? Dungeons and oh, Dragons, yeah. Honour yeah. Among Thieves. We will see what Van thought of it in just a minute, so uh, stay there. Hello and welcome back. So, as promised, it is time to hear what Van thought of Dungeons and Dragons, Honour Among Thieves. This is this week's big one, uh, and it is out in cinemas from today. So, Van, is it worth going to see? Well, I mean, yes, in a nutshell. I mean, we kind of, we kind of jump into the good part on that one. But yeah, it is, <laughs> it is worth going to see. Um, so, uh, this is not the first time I've gone to the cinema and seen a Dungeons & Dragons movie in my lifetime. For the record, I, I was around for the, the, the last attempt at this back in 2000, which starred... I want to say Justin Whalen from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman and Child's Play 3, um, and Marlon Wayans opposite Jeremy Irons as some sort of like evil wizard. It was complete crap. This is not. Good. Okay, so this is written and directed for the screen by uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. It's a new interpretation of Dungeons and Dragons uh, that imagines a new set of characters. Each one comes with a different skill sets. So you've got one who's a thief, one who's the muscle, one who's a wizard, one who's you know a, a, a creature who can change shape, and so on and so forth. And they team up and must go on a, a, a daring mission together to retrieve the ancient MacGuffin they need to free their leader, Chris Pine's daughter, who, uh, from the clutches of Hugh Grant, who is a friend, a former friend turned enemy, and has basically taken almost uh, Count of Monte Cristo-like, taken Chris Pine's daughter in as his own, and will only release her in exchange for the MacGuffin. Um, I've got a clip for you, and to set the tone of this, which is very much in the vein of something like Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, I will explain, in this clip, they are in a graveyard, like, of all the four fallen from a battle, and they are casting spells that allow, allow them to interrogate the dead. So have a listen. Once the dead man is revived, we can ask him five questions, at which point he will die again, mm -hmm. never to be re-revived. Were you killed in the Battle of the Everhorse? Yes. One more question, right? Yes. No, 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 that, that wasn't for you. Did that count as a question? Yes. Damn it. Only answer when I talk to you, okay? Yes. Why did you say okay at the end of that? I didn't. Fantastic. Where's the shovel? I love the sound of that. That is absolutely yeah. brilliant. I will, I know I will love this when I get to see it. I'll be laughing a lot through the whole thing, I think. Absolutely. So the best way to look at this is imagine Guardians of the Galaxy, but instead of like the space aliens thing, they're doing sword and sword, sword and swords and sorcery instead. So it's kind of medieval Guardians of the Galaxy to an extent, or Game of Thrones meets Guardians or something, something like that, but all with this sort of anachronistic jumanji energy so there's i say it, it's written and directed by uh john francis daly and jonathan goldstein who um were responsible for the first spy the first mcu spider-man one homecoming but are more known for having written and directed uh horrible bosses 
uh, Horrible Bosses, Horrible Bosses 2, and Game Nights. So they are comedy guys. Uh, John Francis Daly is also uh, known as an actor. He's in uh, Bones and one of my very favorite comedies, Waiting, um, as well. He, he is a former child actor from the Gina Davis show, if you want to know my weird trivia on that guy. Uh, incidentally, if you get the chance to see Waiting, do, but do be aware that he's very, very problematic in, in, in this day and age. Like, it's on Amazon Freebie, but it's... Uh, it's got Ryan Reynolds and Justin Long saying a lot of things that you, you wouldn't say in a movie in 2023. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, <laughs> just, just, you know, disclaimer. Uh, so Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, say it's got their humor, like, baked in. There's a lot of that zippy kind of Edgar Wright almost kind of cutting back and forth energy. Yeah. Uh, it's it's say, very into the sort of, you know, the scoundrel attitude or something like Guardians of the Galaxy. You've got Chris Pine uh, going full hand Solo, like medieval hand Solo. Like, you know, they're asking, like, oh, I'm the wizard, you know, I'm the muscle. What do you do? Oh, I make plans. When the plan goes wrong, I make new plans. And that's so you make plans that go wrong. That's your function. And it's very much one of those roles that Chris Pine, he's one of, like, three actors who can do at the moment. Like, it's really his kind of role. Like, it's a kind of, it's very in the vein of something like Brennan Fraser would have done 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, mummy-era Brennan Fraser would have done this. Uh, you've got Michelle Rodriguez, who's really kind of just playing to type, but gets more to do here than, for instance, she does in the Fast and Furious movies or anything like that. So, actually is getting to, you know, crack a smile and actually have a blast, which is nice. Justice Smith is playing Justice Smith, the wizard. And then, you get to the true, true star of this movie. Who do you think walks away stealing this movie, Mr. Ball? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. I have no idea. The Rock. It's, it's, it's always going to be. <laughs> well, it's none other than Hugh Grant. Oh yeah, of course. As uh, yeah, Hugh Grant, who like I say, it's very it's a sort of the Count of Monte Cristo narrative, but he's going for it from more of an Edward Norton in the remake of the Italian Job from 2003 kind of a a vibe, but doing the Paddington Two villain, and it's the kind of thing like you like. You could really only get Hugh Grant or maybe Pierce Brosnan to do this. They're the only ones pulling this off. It's what I would call uh, Professor Lockhart's energy at times. You know, from uh, from Harry Potter to oh, yeah. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, which I always thought if it wasn't going to be Ken Branagh, then maybe Hugh Grant could have pulled off that character. Only two actors. You get these kind of performances, and it's really good for like Hugh Grant steals this thing this is a movie with a dragon of course I mean it's in the title movie with a dragon and Hugh Grant's just chewing the scenery just just owns, walking away with it just in his in his nice his nice green robes just rubbing his hands together just hello I'm Hugh Grant I own this show see I only Fair normally point. I would I would jump in normally and say that Hugh Grant in most movies I feel personally mm-hmm. only plays yeah. Hugh Grant um, I, I, I will eat that my words on that mm-hmm. um, and I you're going to laugh because I can't remember the name of the movie. What's the Hugh Grant movie where he plays like a, a gangster? I can't remember what it is. Are you on about the, the gentleman? He's brilliant in that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> he, he is brilliant. Yeah, he's the first time. It's the first time watching that that I saw him really come mm. out of uh, into a different role than Hugh Grant. Well, we are going to be talking about him again next week because he's in Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre. We're going to Great. Talk about next week. And also, sidebar, I'm on the poster. I'm on the poster or DVD box or something for The Gentleman. There is a poll quote from Talks Ball, from Talk Radio, sorry. That's me. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, Brilliant. Which, and it's a, it's a terrible, terrible poll quote. Oh, no. 
<laughs> they always they always pick the really crap ones. Anyway, uh, I love that movie. I, I liked this as well. It's a sort of a three and a half star good time. Uh, th- three and a half star film that you have a four star good time with. It's fun for the whole family. It's rated 12A, but I would say you can watch this with relatively young kids mm. as well. Um, <laughs> sidebar for this one is Reggae Jean Page uh, from Bridgerton, who I think this is his first big sort of film role off the back of that. And they, they he's not in it a lot because he can't be, because he comes onto the screen and he threatens to take, he, and it's worth noting, he's mostly in scenes that don't feature Hugh Grant, and it's probably a good thing because they'd be battling it out. He just comes on and his entire shtick is, hello, I'm a sexy paladin. I'm here to just be awesome for a moment, and I'm too awesome, so I can't be in this movie, otherwise there'd be no need for a plot. Ha <laughs> ha! See you later. And that's his entire character. <laughs> like, every now and again, he'll just... He, in fact, he's medieval Ace Rimmer. That would be the best way. You remember Ace Rimmer from Red Dwarf? Yeah, yeah. How there was the... That's it. Reggae Jean Page is D&D Ace Rimmer in this. He just shows up and everyone, and then he leaves and everyone's like, what a guy. Smoke me a kipper. You know, it's absolutely that character. I love him in this. Please give Reggae Jean Page more film roles because he's awesome in this. He's not steal the show entirely Hugh Grant awesome, but it would have been interesting to see them battle it out. Um... Dungeons and Dragons in cinemas from today, uh, well worth a, a time out. Um, it, it's it, you know it's a great date movie. It's a good one to take kids to. It's just a good time. Like I say, medieval Guardians of the Galaxy, absolutely worth seeing. And I know that you loved it because you didn't once specify how long it was. <laughs> I didn't actually. It's not an overly long. Uh, not an overly long film. I think the clocks in it. It's two and a quarter. Yeah. It didn't feel it. To be fair to it, it didn't feel it. Yeah, that's when you know you got a good um, movie. Yeah, but that's it, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I'm, I sat through John Wick. What was it last week? It was near, near three hours. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, sometimes it's too <sighs> this, long. This, this certainly felt like it coming down. Yeah. All right. Well, Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves out in cinemas from today. Um, we've got one more movie to talk about, and we're going to talk about Tetris. It is out on Apple TV Plus and uh, it's out today. So we'll talk about it with Van because he's seen it. Stay there. Hello and welcome back for one last movie to talk about that Van has already seen. Of course, I haven't. Uh, it is Tetris. Taron Edgerton is in this movie. Let's see if all the pieces fit together and it ah. makes a good movie. There you go, the way Van. You were, the way you were setting that up, I swear. <laughs> I just half. I, I've seen the movie, so I know this is the case. But I honestly felt like you were about to say, Taron Edgerton is Jeff Tetris." <laughs> no, uh, no. I, I just had to get in some kind of pun in there somewhere. Didn't I, really? Absolutely, and it was a good one. So let's press start on Tetris, as we say. So, um, Taron Edgerton plays uh, Hank Rogers. Who is the, uh, the the software executive who basically you know popularized Tetris, who brought Tetris to the ma- the, mass- the the masses? He obviously wasn't the guy who invented Tetris. That was a Russian software developer named Alexei Pajitnov. Now Alexei Pajitnov's name is seared into my consciousness because Tetris is still this is this is genuine this is true. Tetris is still my favorite video game of all time. I can play Tetris forever. I don't think it's ever been beaten as a video game. I think it's I get the best that. video game of mine. Yeah. Just it's it's simplicity. It is a marvel of of, of software engineering. Did you have it on and the Game Boy when you were younger? I, I did. Now the yeah. reason I'm the reason I'm glad you say that is because more than anything, this movie is about getting Tetris onto the Game Boy, which is the move that would ultimately make 
Tetris. Right. Now, the, the game existed in the Soviet Union. And you say, because it existed and it was made by a citizen of the Soviet Union, it was owned by the Communist Party. Because remember, this was the 80s. Of so, Hank Rogers, the Western software executive, who I believe was based in Tokyo, married a Japanese woman, was based out of there. He decided to enter into the process of trying to buy the rights to distribute the game outside of the Soviet Union. He saw the potential. I mean, saw it for the first time, fell in love with it, decided I'm going to be the distributor outside because Russia didn't give a toss really about, you know, outside of the Soviet Union. Alexei Pajitnov, however, might like some money. Turned out, however, that the rights were already in dispute and thought, and they were presumably owned by Robert Maxwell. Remember Robert Maxwell in the 1980s? Is he the one that died off his boat? He is, and he's played here for the screen by Roger Allen in prosthetic effect with his voice. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant casting, inspired. And it is about the tense negotiations that begin between this, you know, this young upstart, you know, one guy, one man band, Robert Maxwell's party, and the Soviet Union. All of which takes place in the Soviet Union, and given that it's the height of the Cold War, you can imagine exactly what kind of climate all of this is going off in. And it's all peppered with 8-bit retro video game animation as Brilliant. well. You know, synthwave, you know, retro disco drops and things like that. Have a listen. It's, it's, it's a maddening, it's a mental movie. Mr. Stein, please, hold on. What happened in there? It's complicated. You don't control handheld rights? I didn't say that. I said it's complicated. Well, either you do or you don't. What's so complicated Have about that? Have you ever that? been in Moscow, Mr. Rogers? Have you ever negotiated with the Soviets? Do you know what it feels like to be in a country where, where everyone is watching you? No. So don't tell me what is and what is not complicated. I'll pay you $25,000 to secure me worldwide handheld rights. I guess it wasn't so complicated. Brilliant. No, that's that yeah. sounds absolutely brilliant. I, I have a question, though. So if Go he on. was bringing it out of Russia to put it onto mm -hmm. Game Boy, what were they yeah. playing it on in Russia? It was. A, it started life as a DOS-based game. They used like the parentheses as the oh. to make the blocks and things like that. You start, and you get to see that process. There are a couple of claims made here and there that the video game aficionado in me wonders about. There is a moment in which Hank Rogers contributes a very specific piece of the gameplay of Tetris. You then wonder, did that really happen? I don't know. So, you've got Taron Edgerton on pretty, you know, fine flop sweat form. Like, he's got the crappy stash and the dowdy look. I mean, he's possibly a bit too young and handsome, I think, for the guy he's playing. You get that impression. Uh, Roger Allen as as Robert Maxwell, I think, absolutely inspired. The story is interesting, and uh, John Baird, who directs this, uh, did Filth a few years ago. Doesn't bring his filth level of, of inventiveness to this, but it is something a bit more, stands apart a bit more than Stan and Ollie a couple of years ago. He can, He's a director who can go either way. He can go quite stately, or he can go quite wacky. Um, here he sort of sits on the, in, in the middle. It's quite a stately movie with some wacky graphics over the top of it. Supporting cast, though, I thought were really good. Uh, I'd say Roger Allen stands out for me, like far and away. Uh, but also Toby Jones, who you could hear in the in the clip there. Uh, I think this is a, a really interesting uh, way to tell the story. In terms of how it's presented, it kind of feels a bit like the social network meets... Uh, social network meets Pirates of Silicon Valley, but presented 
with all of the class and gusto of something like Rogue Trader from the sort of forgotten 1999 Ewan McGregor thriller about Nick Leeson and the Bearing Banks ba- Bearing Bank bankruptcy, which I can't believe history forgot that movie because it's so wonderfully naff. Uh, this is better than that. And in- interesting sidebar: this kickstarts a trio of movies in the next sort of month that are all about products that are all about the battle to bring products to market there's this then next week we're going to be talking about air the air jordan movie and then a few weeks time is blackberry the story of the blackberry starring dennis from always sunny in philadelphia so it's a really weird time like a really weird little subgenre and it, it seems to be having its moments. It's a very strange thing. Um, so say, you can see this on Apple TV Plus from today, and it is kind of the perfect place for it. I, I don't imagine this would go down too well in cinemas. I, I, I don't think it'd make very much money. It's the kind of film that clearly has been made with, you know, a sort of very conscious budget, quite low, you know, relatively low budget, made with you know, kind of a streaming aesthetic going on for it and is mostly suited for at home i mean if you happen to be playing tetris through it which i could absolutely see someone doing yeah i was gonna say Um, is it is it focused more at the the gamers you know the retro gamers or would someone who really doesn't give a crap about gaming oh you don't know you 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 don't have to know anything about tetris the game you you might never play tetris before in your life because it's not about the game itself it's about bringing it's about it's it's the drama of bringing putting the game onto the shelf right yeah getting it there and you know having to do these negotiations while you know while the fsb this while the kgb are monitoring you and things like that really interesting story I would say I, I kind of knew the story because, you know, me, I'm a, I'm a YouTube retrospective nerd. So, you know, I've watched a billion, like, you know, 20 minute long documentaries about, you know, the history of, of Tetris. Which, say, that, that, the name, Alexei Pajitnov, is just seared into my, my brain because from age eight, I remember, you know, flicking on that little green screen, little green LCD screen, and the first screen yeah. was copy, copyright Alexei Pajitnov. You know, yeah. I always, always remember that. But, you know, the film, incidentally, is makes no bones about the fact Tetris owes its existence. It owes any shred of its success to the Nintendo Game Boy. And it's it's fascinating seeing them, seeing them actually get there, get there with, you know, there's a sequence in which they talk about, uh, you know, we need a launch title. Oh, I've got this. You might like this. And it's you just imagine it as this wonderful you know, eureka moment. It, 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 you kind of think it's part of video game legend. It's fascinating to see that sequence and, and just the classic Game Boy box and things like that from 1989. It's, it's, it's a wonderful nostalgia trip and a fascinating piece of video game history to make a drama out of. And it works. It works quite well. I was never bored, even though I knew the story to death. It managed to keep me on my toes a little bit. Good times. What's the betting orders for retro Game Boys on eBay go through the roof after this film has been released? Oh yeah, I'm 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 sure. No, I don't think it quite had that kind of a cultural impact because the game doesn't feature prominently enough, for one thing. And you know what? Uh, Fair play to them. I, I appreciate that it's not the most uh, you know exciting of prospects. Uh, you know, subject of a movie. Oh, it's the battle to get the rights to Tetris. <laughs> yes, but Social Network was about getting the you know the legal rights to Facebook, and, and that thing won Oscars. This won't win Oscars because it's nowhere near that quality of movie. But uh, I, you know, at least it's not you know the story of Jeff Tetris and you know how his life could only be fulfilled if. He, slotted that right piece into the right place you know which i kind of honestly expect if you've got the emoji movie version of tetris that's what it would be absolutely well you know make your own mind up as you said it's on apple tv plus from today 
Uh, well, that's all we've got time for this week. We are going to be back on Friday next week when we are going to look at The Pope's Exorcist. It's yeah, got to be a horror movie. Russell, starring Russell Crowe, there are no press shows for it. I have emailed Sony. I have yet to hear back. So we're going to find out on that one. I mean, it looks terrible. So I can, And the fact there's no press shows, kind of, I guess, hintedy hint hint on that one. Um, <laughs> Yeah. We've got the new new Curse on One. Godland is next week. Uh, Lola is a sci-fi drama. That's next week. Uh, as I say, Air, the Air Jordan movie, starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, directed by Ben Affleck, because 2023 is just a weird time, man. <laughs> yeah, a, it's odd. Wow. And of course, uh, we've got Ruse de Guerre, the new Guy Ritchie movie. That's going to Prime Video next Friday, uh, starring Jason Statham, Josh Hartnett, Hugh Grant, and the gorgeous Aubrey Plaza, who I think it's I think it's long enough since my fiance left me that I can look at Aubrey Plaza now. I think I can look at <laughs> Aubrey Plaza again. Uh, and of course, the big Mario. Yeah, the big one is of course Mario uh, with uh, Chris Pratt, the other Chris, Chris Pratt, and Charlie Day from Always Sunny in Philadelphia because those guys are getting around. I can't wait for the Mario movie. I'm very excited. I want to watch it with my little boy in the hope it gets him into Mario Brothers because that would I was, be a I was, dream. I was hoping to take my nephew, but the screening's like a Tuesday night. Like the usually, I was hoping for like a weekend morning, get my nephew down, yeah. you know, get him into Mario properly. He's, but he's four. Can't really take him to central London on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. <laughs> no. You know no, what no, I mean? No. Yeah. Yeah. Not great timing. I, cheers. Well, I um, I'm definitely gonna gonna watch it with my little boy because I think he'll absolutely love it. And then of course we'll be um, getting into Mario Kart and all that kind of stuff afterwards, which would be easy then. Um, so we're going to talk about all of those next week. Uh, they are all still to come um, on off screen. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>